a couple of Sundays ago, I started a series on First uh, Peter, going through the book of First Peter, um, just as a a series of messages to see what First Peter has to offer. Uh, I've never done that before, and uh, just taken a book of the Bible and just kind of worked my way through it. And uh, so far, it's been really good for me already, just to to see what First Peter has. And I'm not sure why I picked First Peter, except I've decided to pick First Peter, and I I like the book of First Peter, but Anyway, um, so this is Sermon 2 out of the book of 1 Peter, and uh, the title is Preparing the Mind for Holy Living, Preparing the Mind for Holy Living. But last time I preached, I, I, I said the theme of 1 Peter is, is kind of about being willing to suffer for righteousness' sake, and I want to change that just a slightly. That is a key theme in the book of 1 Peter. But I really think the book of 1 Peter is about holy li- instructions for, for living righteously and holy living. Instructions for how we should live as sojourners, as pilgrims, as strangers in a foreign land. And suffering for righteousness sake is a big part of that. When I say a big part of that, a big part of his instruction is being willing to suffer for righteousness sake if you are called to, to that. Um, but... Also, in the book of 1 Peter, he reminds us several different times about our salvation and how that should drive us to live holy lives, to live as God wants us to live. And I also want to highlight the fact that 1 Peter was written to, it says at the very beginning, it was written to strangers that were part of the dispersion. And I really believe what that means is in the book of Acts, you read about how the Christians were scattered because of persecution and I think that's who he's, who he's writing this book to, is those Christians that were scattered because of persecution. But it just applies so well to us today. Now, we haven't been scattered because of persecution. Well, actually, our very forefathers were way, way back. But we are strangers in a foreign land. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. This is not our forever home. Even though sometimes I think we get, I get a little mixed up, and I kind of think it is, and I try to set my roots here and... And, and build here in a way that, you know, this is my home and this is it. It's not. We weren't made for this. We were made for a perfect world, for heaven. So we are only strangers and foreigners in, on earth, and this book is written so much for us as well today. We might not be suffering the persecution that some of these people were suffering, but the instructions are all there for us today. One more thing I, w- I just want to highlight again just in kind of a review, is the difference between the disciple Peter and the apostle Peter. The disciple Peter in the book, or in all of the Gospels, was impulsive. He was a man of justice. You know, he's the one that whipped out his sword when they came to arrest Jesus, and he cut off the servant's ear. You know, he was like, we can't let this happen. This has got to change. You don't let people suffer for doing right. There's no way Jesus should be arrested. And he even rebuked Jesus one time when Jesus spoke of his sufferings that he was going to go through. I, I read of a completely different person in 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, and he has mellowed. He has changed. He now encourages us to suffer for righteousness' sake, because Jesus also suffered. And I, I, I read in this book someone who has been changed because of the I think a key turning point in Peter's life was when he denied Christ. He, he loved his life so much that he denied Christ, and then Christ reinstated him after he rose from the dead 
he um, asked Peter, do you, do you love me? He said that three times. I think that was a defining moment for Peter. And I, 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 you kind of get that picture in the book of First Peter. He's just like, go all out for God. Don't worry about, make sure you don't deny him. Follow him. Do what he asks you to do. I read of a different person there. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, going to be starting in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. If ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was, ma but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I'm going to be stopping there, taking this section of, of scripture, this section of the book. And I'm not going verse by verse. I'm just kind of picking out some of the key things that I see in, in each portion of scripture. But the first thing that we start with in verse 13 is, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to sit here for a little bit because... I think this is one of the, so, you know, you have your, your what you're supposed to do. So Peter gives us the what's throughout scripture here. You know, you're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be as obedient children, this and that. And um, this is kind of your how. I think this is a key, a key verse in the entire book of how we live out. And that is girding up the loins of our mind girding up the loins of our mind. I, high high uh, performing athletes, whether, and I, I think more about endurance training, uh, let's take a, a marathon for instance, someone who trains for a marathon, and I've never done this, so I, if you have and I'm wrong, you can come correct me later, but I'm pretty sure it's as important to, to train your mind as it is your body. And I think it's that way for many athletes, but for sure for endurance training, whether it's, you know, swimming, whether it's running, um, any of that stuff, it, it takes endurance because you're going to sometime, I, I think they talk about hitting a wall and you've got to push, you, you're running, you're running and all of a sudden you feel like your body just can't go on 
And with your mind, you push past that and your body actually can keep going. But it takes training your mind. Um, I used to deer hunt and I, it's, it's always easier going out in the evenings than it is in the mornings. But I had to decide the night before if I was going to go that morning. If I said, ah, I'll wait till tomorrow morning and I'll decide if I'm going to go, I invariably never went in the morning. I had to decide the night before and I had to, that, that was, I made up my mind, I'm going to go no matter what. But if I decided when I went to bed, ah, I'll wait till tomorrow morning and we'll figure it out. I never went. It was too hard. I hadn't trained my mind. My mind was saying, oh, ain't no deer out there anyway. Just stay in bed. And so I would stay in bed. But that's how it is with almost anything we do. Our mind is almost as important, if not more important, to train than our body. Because our body will do what our mind says to do. Our body will do what our mind says to do. And so here, I'm going to say Paul sometimes. So anyway, now I said it, so now it's done. Peter said, gird up the loins of your mind. Train your mind. So I uh, did a little bit of research, and girding up is an actual literal thing they used to do in Bible times because men and women wore robes. And so uh, the men, would, if, if they wanted to run or get ready for a battle, they would take their robe and bring it up, and they would tie it in a certain way to where they were free to run. It was not hanging down around their feet. And that's exactly what it meant by girding up. When you girt up your loins, that's what, you, that's what it was meant to do, and it, and it gave them, uh, then they were not in, inhibited by their long robe, and they were able to fight, particularly for battle, but even for running. Um, and, I, and I had to think about, it's a little bit like, you know, if we were to run a race, if there were two runners running a race, and I said, get ready, get set, what, is, what do the runners do? Invariably, they, they get ready, and they set. Usually, usually, they're not like this here, just waiting till I say go. And that's a little bit how it is with when you... To, to girt up means to get ready. That's what girding up, that's kind of the connotation that it gives. If I say girt up the loins, it means get ready. Prepare yourself. Get ready to fight. Get ready to go uh, run, whatever it might be. Get ready. Girding up the loins is getting ready. And here, Peter is saying... We need to do that with our mind. We need to do that with our mind. Why does he say with our mind? Why does he not say, you know, girding up the, the loins? Why does he say your mind? And I really think it's because, again, it is so important in the Christian life, the Christian life is a battle, that we fight this battle in our minds because our body will do what our mind says or what our mind tells it to do. Gird up your minds. Prepare yourself. Get ready for the battle and for perseverance. Here in verse 13, he also says, And hope to the end until your great, the grace is revealed. And that word hope, I one time did a message on the word hope, and hope actually means to patiently wait. So we hope for something. As long as you're hoping for something, you're always waiting. You will never hope for something that you have. And so to hope is to patiently wait you cannot patiently wait if you haven't trained your mind to patiently wait. You have to train your mind. And so if we are going to endure this marathon of waiting, so we are experiencing salvation now, but we will experience the final salvation, the final grace when Christ comes back. If we are going to endure this marathon until that time, we have to prepare our minds just like a marathon trainer would prepare their minds or a marathon runner would prepare their minds for running.
You have to train your mind. We are to prepare our minds for battle and adversity. So why is it so important that we train our minds? Well, I already kind of said the battle is in your mind. I've uh, done several, and there's a little book I read one time called The Purity Principle, which is a, a book for men for, for helping them with their purity. And some of us uh, fellows here in our accountability group have went through the Conqueror series, which is also for helping men with, with purity and, and pornography and things like that. And they always talk about the mind, always. Now there's, there's physical things you can do to help yourself if you struggle with temptation. You know, you don't go certain places maybe and things like that, but the battle is always in your mind. The Purity Principle is written by Randy Alcorn and one of his chapters, I believe, is said, the battle is in the mind. The battle is in the mind. So much happens within your mind and learning to fight that battle in your mind is so important. You, I've talked about this before, but you know, I, um, I've focused a lot on my health in the last couple of years. You know, uh, exercise, I've focused more on exercising and, and eating and, and just even other little things that have helped for me to feel better. Um, you know, depending on uh, what kind of coffee you drink and things like that really help you perform at a peak level. And um, anyway, <laughs> that was for certain people, sorry. One of the things I've realized with exercising or dieting or anything you want to do is that you have to do it in your mind as well. So if at first, I want to get better. I want to feel better. So yes, exercise. And we exercise and I exercise and I start to feel better. And, and eating well. Yep, I'm going to eat these foods. I'm not going to eat a bunch of sugar right now. And I start to feel better. At some point, I'm going to come to, I, I've come already kind of to a place where I don't do quite as much as I used to. I don't do quite as much as I used to. And I still have to fight in my mind that, what, what, what am I doing this for? What am I doing this for? Am I doing it for, for what? Well, for me, it's, it's so I do feel better. It's so I can, I can uh, perform better in whatever God has called me to do. And so, well, because of that, then I probably should keep going. So if I you know, get up in the morning and I'm tired and I don't feel like exercising, my mind is saying, just, just you know, have your devotions and then pray for a long time and then it's time to go to work and then you can't exercise. That's, that's what it, honestly what happens. I, I, I want to just, ah, uh, just tired, just sit on the chair a little bit longer, maybe I'll fall asleep. And if I really pr prepare and, and really train my mind, it'll say, no, this is, this is more important to me right now. Finish what you're doing, but you, you need to get up and move around a little bit for exercise. And I'm not saying if you decide to sit in the chair that that's bad. I do that plenty of times. But what I'm saying is your mind is so important. Training your mind is so important. Preparing your mind in that way. The same thing happens in our relationships. Training your mind, um, I had to think of marriage as, you know, preparing the mind is a lot about learning to let go of yourself, especially in this Christian life thing. And, you know, being vulnerable in a relationship is very hard sometimes, depending on what the, where, where it's at, whatever, how much you trust the other person. Even someone I trust a lot, I still can struggle to be vulnerable with. But if I keep preparing my mind, which is, which is, training my mind that I need to do this. It's not about me, it's about 
focusing on the relationship, it's about the health of our relationship, I'll be a lot more willing to be vulnerable when that time comes. So you're preparing your minds for action, for when that time is. That's what's important. You don't wait until the time comes to be like, oh, should I do this or shouldn't I? You prepare ahead of time. And that's what Peter is saying here. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare yourself. Get ready for the time when it's needed because the Christian life is a battle and there are times you will need to decide what you're going to do and your, your mind needs to be ready for that. Obviously, we can't always plan for everything, but we can plan for what we're going to do when, when certain situations arise. If it's between right and wrong, are you going to choose right every time? Are you going to choose wrong? A lot of it comes down to how much we have prepared ourselves and, and how much we have learned God's word and spent time in prayer with him. Those are ways of girding up the loins of our mind. The battle is in the mind. And I've been using physical examples of exercise and things like that, but the battle that we're going to look at today is holy living. And holy living is, in a short nutshell, is denying your flesh and following God's principles. It's also separating yourself from things that are un of ungodly influences. But unholy, or holy living is a battle. It's a constant battle. No one enjoys holy... I say no one enjoys, sorry. No one enjoys just denying whatever you want to do. Even though you know it's not good for you to do what, you just, what your flesh wants to do, it's still not fun to say no. I'm going to follow this. I'm not going to do that. But if you prepare yourself for it, you'll know that the battle is already partly won if you've already prepared yourself and said, no, I know that's not what I want. Even though my flesh says I want that, I know that's not good for me. God's principles, following God's principles are better. And so there's this battle between denying the flesh and living according to God's principles, and that is fought out in the mind. That is fought out in the mind. As I was sitting here this morning, my mind was just drifting over my sermon, and, and I just had to think about ease. You know, lots of people want ease in this life. I want ease. I want things to be easy. I don't like things to be hard at all. Um, I'd much rather just float along and have things go very nicely and well and fine. But ease is the enemy of being prepared. When... I just had to think of the man in uh, the Gospel of Luke where Jesus said he, he was a rich man and he had gotten lots of wheat. Lots of his fields were bountiful and so he tore down his barns and he built bigger barns to put more stuff in. But what he said about his soul is he said, soul, take your ease. You have much. You're fine. You're okay. That man would not be ready, ready for a battle. He was not denying his flesh at all. He was just taking it easy. Ease is the enemy of being prepared. And we will always drift towards destruction if our minds are not prepared. We will always drift towards destruction if our minds are not prepared. So I was thinking about King David. King David is a, a wonderful warrior, powerful warrior. He was very prepared when he fought Goliath. He, he was prepared when he fought many enemies for Israel. He would fight, you know, he was a very powerful warrior. But there was a battle he lost, and that was the day that he stayed home from battle and looked across the roof and saw Bathsheba. His mind was not ready for that battle. It was not prepared, and he lost that battle. If, your mind, if you prepare your mind and prepare it for battle, you know what's right and wrong, and you, and, you, and you 
are preparing yourself that whenever that battle arises between denying my flesh and following God's principles, that I'm going to try to follow God's principles, you have a much better chance of, of doing that. And I don't think David did. I think his mind was at ease. He wasn't into battle, the physical battles that the people were fighting out there. And he was walking on the roof of his house, and all of a sudden he, he lusted. And to lust is to just follow the flesh, especially if you continue to follow the lust. He did not fight that battle at all. He just followed what he wanted to do. He was not ready for it, and he, he lost there. In James 1, verse 8, it says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man. I, I, I remember years ago I was having devotions at our church, and I used James 1, and I came across verse 8. And I, we have, well, we do up here too, I guess. We have tons of squirrels down in South Carolina, and when you drive down the road and the squirrel's in the middle of the road, it's always comical watching which way they're going to go, and eventually they wait too long and they get hit. And I, that that picture popped in my head the minute I had that devotions years ago, and I still remember it. So this morning, as I, or yeah, this morning I thought about this verse. My mind again popped, in my mind popped this thought of the, the squirrel. Doesn't know which way it wants to go when the car is bearing down on it. And a double-minded man, I think, can be that way too. Very unstable. A double-minded man has not prepared himself for battle at all. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 2, it says this, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by sword nor by letter, as from us, as, the de as that the day of Christ is at hand. Paul didn't want them to be shaken, but rather to be firm in their minds. Firm in their minds. Something else it says here in verse 13 is that we are to be sober. Your mind is to be girt up, the loins of your mind to be girt up, be prepared, be ready for battle. But then also to be sober. And of course our minds right away go to sober sobriety in like, you know, in not being intoxicated with, with alcohol. And that is kind of what it means actually to be sober, to be, to be collected. You, your thoughts are collected. You're not just, you know, woozy and tired and, or, or you're not intoxicated with, with alcohol in a way that you can't think straight. Because that's the key thing about intoxication is that you can't think straight. You can't, you, your reflexes are very slow. And you can't think right. You can't make wise choices when you are intoxicated. And what Peter is saying here is we are to be sober, not intoxicated. Make sure you can make wise choices. What are some things that intoxicate us today as Christians? And I don't mean the physical intoxication but spiritually intoxic intoxicated from spiritual things where we can't make wise choices. What are some things? I'd like to know. What's that? Too much social media can intoxicate a person. What else? Maybe I shouldn't say intoxication. Maybe I should say influences. The music you listen to can intoxicate you. Um, just having so much noise around that you can't think right, you can't grow in wisdom and knowledge, can intoxicate you. When I say intoxicate, I don't mean quite like the intoxication of drink, but just it causes you to become sluggish. 
You just can't make good choices. You can't decide if this is right or not because you haven't had those good inputs. You've just been, you just had stuff thrown at you and you just take everything in and you don't actually grow in wisdom and in knowledge. You're just whatever. That's intoxic or sluggishness, whatever you want to call it. I think the constant noise and worldly influences can cause us to be intoxicated where we can't make wise choices. Again, I think this is one of the key things that we see here. Not the key theme of 1 Peter, but it's the key how. How we go about living. And I want to just say one thing. I am not supporting or saying that, you know, the Christian life is all up to you. It's all on your own merit. Because it's not. But so often I feel like maybe we, we we don't realize the intentionality we have to have in our Christian life. The help is there. God's help, God's Christ's righteousness is, a, is surrounding, is the Christian wears a robe of righteousness. God helps him through the, the difficulties of life. This Holy Spirit is there to teach us, to, to show us the way, to help us. But you have to decide that you want to do that. And I think especially when in this battle between denying the flesh and following what God calls us to, it is you are to make that decision. The Holy Spirit will point it out. If you're doing something, if you start doing something and the Holy Spirit, you know, gives you a a little check in your spirit and you're like, ah, don't know if that's right. And you start realizing that it isn't right. It's up to you right there to make that choice. It's up to you. And I think that's, that's what I'm trying to get at is those are the places where we do have to be intentional with what we do, with the decisions we make. Have you prepared your mind for that battle when that battle happens? It's important that we do. The next section I want to take is just the rest of the portion that I read. And I'm, I'm looking at it as instructions for obedient children. In verse 14, he says, as obedient children. And then I see several different commandments or rules, kind of like a father putting down some, some guidelines for his children. So first of all, it says, as obedient children. And then he says, be ye holy as I am holy. I'm just going to go through the ones I see, and then I'm going to come back and, and cover them. But holy living is the first one. It says, be holy as I am holy. The second one is fearing the Father. It says in verse 17, if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, this is a command, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. You are to fear the Father. The next one is towards the end of the chapter, loving one another with a pure heart. Verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Here's the command. See that ye love one another fervently. And then the, the, next, the last one is the beginning of verse chapter 2, where it says desiring God, or, it, or it's about desiring God's word, where it says, as newborn babes, here's the command, desire the milk, the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. So those are the commands that I see for obedient children. And I think it's important that we see ourselves as children. We are children of the Father. If you are in Christ, you have been born again, you have salvation, you are, you are saved, you are a part of the family of God, and you are, God is your Father. And we are all siblings. We are all siblings. Now, you might be glad that you don't have to live every day with some of the ones, you know, that are your siblings. But in a sense, we are siblings. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are to love one another fervently. And I'll get to that. 
But as obedient children, I think it's important that we look at ourselves, you know, um, when I was young, my, my dad spanked, just so you know, and, and that's why it turned out so well. But I did, <laughs> I did get a good many of them, I will say, unfortunately, uh, I guess. But, he, he, you know, it, it hurt, and, and I feared my father in that way of getting disciplined. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I just want to, this is just to kind of reinforce the fact that, you know, as I'm older now, I don't, I, I still think of my, myself as my father's son, but I don't really fear punishment anymore as such. But I'm still God's son. I am still God's son, and there is a healthy fear that I should have of God as his, children, as his child. And I'm also supposed to be obedient. I'm still you know, I, I don't know that I'm disobeying my dad anymore, really. I, I think I do what he wanted me to do back then. But still, I need to obey my father. Am I an obedient child? Are you an obedient child to your father? We are to be obedient children. The first one is holy living. As I said, the first instruction that I see here is holy living. And I don't know about you, but whenever I hear someone want to talk about holy living, I'm like, oh, that sounds blah, like holy living. That sounds, does not sound like fun. Sounds dry. How, uh, holy living sounds like you can't have any fun. Well, it's true that holy living is, can be hard. It's denying your flesh. But did you know that holy living enhances your life? Holy living enhances your life. God has placed blessings within his principles that if you follow his principles, you will experience those blessings. I just, because we just had a wedding, I just had to think of marriage, I guess. But, so a person who decides to follow God's principles and wait until marriage for um, the intimacy, for even emotional intimacy with another woman, and he follows those principles, and I'll think about it as from a man's standpoint, because I'm a man, he is going to experience blessings in his marriage that a man will not experience if he just follows the flesh and sleeps around and, and just kind of does whatever he wants to do. And so in this case, holy living enhances that person's life. And there's many other, other things, you know, just, just denying, I, I can't, I don't know, there's various ones you could look at. Um, even a simple thing as, as overeating. Overeating is a thing. And someone who just follows the flesh and just decides they just want to, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't care, I don't, whatever. Whereas someone who, who has moderation, there's a, there is a blessing that, there is, that is found in that. There's all kinds of things. There's various, um, I, I think of purity things because I'm a man, but you know, a person who, who watches himself um, with purity and things like that. There is a blessing that is found when you follow those principles and your life is enhanced versus a person who decides to just follow the flesh and do whatever he wants to do. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. That's where I say holy living enhances your life. It can be hard. It can seem kind of blah. It can seem like, God, why, why, why is it always so hard to deny the flesh? But it's important. It enhances your life. And I, I feel that holy living is not taught much in mainstream Christianity anymore. It's more salvation. You're good to go. Go have fun. And it's, it's not, God has called us to live lives, holy lives. Why? Because he is holy. He set the example for us. The next one is fearing the Father. 
fearing the Father. And again, this is something that is, I don't think, taught much. Like we should be, God, we shouldn't fear God. Or, or we look at it the way, well, it's only talking about reverence and awe. That's all. It's just, you know, it's only reverence and awe. That's, that's all it is. But I think there is a, a healthy fear of punishment if we do wrong. Now, when I grew up, or as I was growing up, and even into my uh, 20s, before I was married, and, and I struggled a lot with, I don't know if you'd call it quite a super sensitive conscience, but I did care. I worried so much about what I did. You know, should I read this book? Oh, what if this book isn't right for me here? Or should I do that? I don't know if I should do that or not. Or is this God's will for me? I, and I, I, it, I constantly worried that God's up there with his big stick. And if I do something wrong, it's just going to be whack. And I, it, was a, it was something that I struggled with. And my wife actually helped me a lot to overcome that in learning to trust the spirit to guide you and live your life. And so I don't think we should have this constant fear. And that's actually not godly fear. That's Satan putting in fear and guilt into your mind versus a godly fear. But a godly fear is when, you know, I know if I, I, I know if I dis- would decide to ever, you know, walk out on my wife, there is punishment sometime. Maybe not right then. There's punishment sometime. There, that's a godly fear. That's a healthy fear. All of, any of those kinds of things. And I think that's, that's good. That's good. So we are to have a fear of our father. Just like I had a bit of a fear of my dad if I, if I disobeyed. My mom didn't usually spank me because she would just say, just wait till dad gets home. And it was, yeah, it, it taught me a lot. We are to have a healthy fear of God. But also it does also mean a reverence and an awe. Because of what God has done, he saved us. He sent his son his only son, it says, after it says about, um, after it talks about that we are to fear God, it, it goes into how we were redeemed. We were redeemed not with corruptible things, but with the blood of Christ. And that blood of Christ was God's only son. You should fear the Father. You should fear the Father because of all he has done for you, his love for you, that he sent Jesus to die for us. That's what we were redeemed with. Next is loving one another with a pure heart kind of as siblings, as brothers and sisters of Christ, in Christ, or brothers and sisters, children of the Father, we are to love one another fervently. And that word fervently means earnestly or intently. Earnestly, intently. And that's what I feel like, I feel like the more we actually love each other intently, the more of a closer brotherhood and fellowship we can have here. And I feel like that's something that that has, is a part of our fellowship, is that, that loving one another, and I think we can continue to grow in that and, and flourish in that. It also says to love with a pure heart, and that is a clean heart, um, not a heart that has ulterior motives, but a clean heart, to love one another. And it says we are to do this, why? Because we have been, we have been made clean by the word of God, we have been made, we have been saved by not incorruptible things, but, or not with corruptible things, but with incorruptible things. We have been purified by living according to the truth. Therefore, you should love one another. And I was thinking Jesus said this in the gospel of John, how that you will, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That is, the, that's kind of the defining mark of a Christian or of, of Christians dwelling together. 
We are to love one another with a pure heart. And then the last one is desiring God's word. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Again, I think desiring God's word is a battle that we fight. I, I like to read and I like inspirational books that make me think, you know, about spiritual things. I like to read my Bible. But I'll be honest, sometimes my Bible, I just don't get, I don't always get something out of it. Maybe it's because I'm too busy thinking of something else. I'm not sure. Um, and I, sometimes I like to read in the evenings, but the evening I'm tired, and I don't want to read something heavy. I want something fluff that isn't hard to think about. Just a few pages, that's all. But I think it's important that we're careful that we do read, first, first of all, the Bible, but even other books that can point us in the way of, what, uh, of helping us understand God's word. But for sure, the Bible. And you know, there are times that it'd be much easier if I'm sitting up early in the morning wanting, you know, on my chair, and it, it could be just as easy to pick up another book to read instead of the Bible. But do you desire God's word? And there's, that word desire is, there's times I don't always desire it. And I don't think you always do either. But you know it's right for you. You know you need to immerse yourself. So fight that battle, prepare your mind, and, and pick up the Bible. It's important that we just immerse ourselves in God's word. Desire God's word. Same thing with healthy food versus junk food. You know, it, the healthy food never tastes quite as good as the junk food. It just doesn't. You know, you develop a taste for it. There's some things I had to develop a taste for. I used to not like sweet potatoes, but sweet potatoes are really good for you. And now I like sweet potatoes. I've developed a, a taste for them. But at one point, you know, I would take, I would take potato fries. Those are, you know, regular fries. Those are healthy. Not really. But I would take those over sweet potatoes. But that's kind of considered junk food. Same way that we are to desire God's word. It's a battle that is fought in our mind. And then just like healthy food builds up our bodies, the milk of the word will help us grow spiritually. The milk of the word will help us grow spiritually. This last little phrase I thought was really interesting. Verse 3, if so be ye have tasted, the Lord is gracious. So it says, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If you have tasted this milk and tasted that the Lord is gracious. So my family... We always, uh, my dad and mom, but my dad especially, was very, that we try various foods. You try what's on the table. If, if there's carrots and beets and all this stuff and I don't like, you, you have to try a little bit. And if it's a new food, you should try a little bit. And I will never forget the time that they brought home shrimp for supper. Our mom made shrimp. And shrimp was this very, you know, exotic food. It was expensive and so we didn't get a lot of it when I was young. And so they were all excited about having shrimp this night. And, you know, mom put the shrimp on the table and we're, all us kids are like, uh, no, I don't think I like shrimp. And at first my parents were like, no, you guys all need to try shrimp. And we're like, no, it looks disgusting. There's no way I'm going to try shrimp. And finally my, my dad's like, well, fine. We like shrimp. They're expensive. Fine, we'll eat all the shrimp. I don't care then. So this was one time that we did not have to try it. And after a while, we started noticing that they're really enjoying their shrimp. <laughs> and by the end of the evening, we were all eating shrimp. And to this day, I love shrimp because I've tasted that they're good and I want them. 
I think the same thing. You won't know that the word of God is good or that God is gracious if you don't dive into his word. Taste and see that the Lord or that his word is good. And I think the best part about this is that there's plenty of it. You know, I, I enjoy a good steak, a really good steak. And I enjoy shrimp. But I don't get it every day because it is an expensive food. It's something that you don't, you know, you don't just go buy every day because it's pretty expensive. So usually those really good foods that we really want are kind of used for just special occasions. But if you really like God's word, there is plenty for you. You can have as much as you want. As much as you want. Let's prepare our minds. Again, that's, I think, kind of, the, if you don't remember anything, prepare your mind for the battle that comes with living as obedient children. Let's kneel for prayer. God, I thank you for this day. Thank you that you are here with us. And God, thank you for your word that instructs us and guides us. And, and God, I'm just grateful for the instruction that we have here in the book of 1 Peter to live as, uh, as obedient children, to live holy lives, to fear the Father, to love each other, and to desire uh, the milk of the word. And God, especially help us as we live in an age where um, to, to take life uh, and have as much ease and comfort as possible, that it wouldn't affect our minds. Help us to gird up, to prepare to get ready our minds so that we are ready to fight whenever that battle comes of deciding between what's right and what's wrong. Whenever we are faced with those battles and Satan is going to try to, to tempt us to, to just do what we want to do, help us, help our minds to be ready to, to make that decision that no, we are going to follow your word. Continue to guide us, help us to grow in godliness. We commit this day to you in Jesus' name, amen.